peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting, it also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom, and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. All right, Happy New Year. Shalom, shalom. Hey. So glad you're with us this morning, and uh, if you're online, glad. Thanks for joining us and being a part of first Sunday of the year. Now, um, our our year, how's it been going? We're three days in. Okay, we look at last year, and three days can seem like a really long time, right? Three days in, how are we doing? How's our year going? Um, for the state of Ohio, it's going really, really well. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Go Bucks, right? Go Bucks, yeah. Um, huge win over Clemson. Um, amazing game. And uh, it, was, it was a good win for us, for the state of Ohio. It might have, for a short moment, brought some, some shalom to us, right? Some, all right, everything is right with the world now. Ohio State's going to the national championship. Right, seriously though, we need those moments of, of joy in our life. Um, now as we, look at, as we looked at last week, we looked at um, some key things to kind of close up 2020. Uh, and if you missed it, you can go um, check the sermon out online uh, or through our app or through our website. But uh, we looked at how to kind of close out 20, 2020. What a year. Um, and and this, this morning, we want to really press into how do we move into 2020. 21. Uh, what, what do we do? You know, I've heard uh, so many times, I hope, you probably can finish the statement, but I hope 2021 is better than 2020. Uh, we've heard that so many times, and that's a great hope. Um, I don't want to dash your hopes, but there's no guarantee on this. Um, when you look at our world and our culture, so how do we handle 2021? How do we press into 2021? And make this a year that we cultivate shalom into our lives, into our homes, into our friendships, into our church and groups and all those categories, our work, all those categories that, that we are involved in. How do we have a, 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 a cultivate, how do we cultivate this idea of shalom? Uh, and so as, as we look at that, it, you know, I kind of went back to this. What does God really desire? What does he really want with us? What is he really getting after and going after in us? And um, we have to start here. And I love this, this uh, verse in, Saul, uh, in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel um, chapter 16, verse 7. It says this. And this, this was in the context of um, anointing a king, right? And they're looking for a king. And they're looking for a king that is big and strong and all these things. And they end up choosing David and this is what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so one of the things we have to press into is our heart as we look at um, 2021, as we try to cultivate um, shalom, we have to be, start by looking at our heart, the inner life and what's going on inside of us. Because God doesn't look at what we do and all of those things. He wants to know the inside. He's about changing and transforming the inside. Right? A value here is we are people being transformed. The transformation is not outwardly. It's not we look different and we dress different. It's a transformation that's internal, the inner life. It's our character. It's who we are that is changing and needs to change. You know, Matthew um, 15, 8 is another, another passage um, that, that kind of speaks into this as well. Uh, Matthew 15, 8 says this, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And this is where Jesus is saying, listen, you may talk and give me honor, but their heart isn't near me. 
right? Jesus is going after the inner life, the internal. He's going after our motives and our responses and our thoughts and, and our character. That's what he's going after. Luke 12 is, is very similar. Luke 12, 34, right? Um, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And these are all verses that are saying God cares about what's happening in our hearts, in our inner life. And so in order to cultivate shalom in 2020, this idea of the inner life or the heart is absolutely critical. And when we talk about transformation, um, what we're talking about is a theological term that we often use called sanctification. Sanctification, transformation, they go hand in hand. It's the process of our inner life, our hearts, how we respond our motives and our character being developed into who God wants us to be. Another term that we use to get there is often spiritual disciplines. Now let's define spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines um, is, a, is a spiritual practice, often including spiritual exercises, is the regular or full-time performance of actions and activities undertaken for the purpose of inducing spiritual experiences and cultivating spiritual development. A common metaphor used in spiritual traditions of the world's great religions is that of walking a path. Therefore, a spiritual practice moves a person along a path towards a goal. The goal is variously referred to as salvation, liberation, or union with God. A person who walks such a path is sometimes referred to as a wayfarer or a pilgrim. Now, long definition, but here's the, the point of a spiritual discipline. It is to help us in the transformation or sanctification process. Spiritual disciplines can be reading scripture, coming to church, um, watching online, right? Church, doing church, being a part of a group, prayer. All of these are spiritual disciplines that are to help us move along into a deeper union with God. And spiritual disciplines are supposed to engage in our inner life to sanctify or transform us. That is the point of spiritual disciplines. Now, spiritual disciplines do not come naturally. Um, these are really hard to implement. Um, they're oftentimes greatly opposed because of the purpose of them. And so it's not going to happen overnight. We don't just implement these and go, we're good, right? New Year's resolution is another form of a discipline to change something in us. How many of you have made a New Year's resolution? Not many. All right, we're done with those. They don't work, right? Um, but spiritual discipline is similar. It's, it's a spiritual discipline to transform us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at three spiritual disciplines that will help usher in or cultivate shalom into our um, category, our life, our heart, our families, and any of those in 2021. Now, the first spiritual discipline is this, the spiritual discipline of learning from Jesus. All right, learning from Jesus. Now, um, this may not be a common one that you go, whoa, learning from Jesus. Okay, that's an interesting spiritual discipline. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 28 
uh, 29 and 30. Here's what it says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an incredible couple verses as Jesus says, listen, put all your burdens on me. Put them all on me and I will give you rest. But I love the little phrase in there where he says, learn from me. Jesus says, learn from me and you'll find rest for your, for your souls. Now we do all kinds of studies on people. Um, many of us have mentors or we look up to people. There's, there's heroes in our life. And we look up to them and say, I want to be like them. I want to be like so-and-so. And I want to be more like this person. And because we study them and we like some things about their life. And we say, yes, I want to be like that person. But have we ever really stopped to study the life of Jesus? Now, we're really good at knowing what he has told us. We're really good at knowing his commands. We're really good at knowing um, the stories that he shared. But have you ever stopped to study his life, his personality, how he functioned? What about his approach to people? How he approached churchgoers and religious people? How he, how he dealt with them versus the unbeliever and the sinner. He handled them completely different. Right? We know the story uh, when Jesus walked into the temple and he sits in the corner and he's putting together a cord of whips as he watches how people are handling what was very, very important to him. And he then turns tables, flips them, drives the religious people out. But then the next moment we see him walk up to the woman at the well. And in all kindness, crossing all cultural norms, stands there and engages with a woman and brings life to her. The living water. How Jesus approached people studying that. And in fact, um, his reputation. He was loved. He was hated. And somehow he was okay with that. Many of us, right, we, we don't want broken relationships and we don't want to be hated. And so we try to heal and mend those things and try to figure it out even to the point where we compromise in order to make sure it's all okay. Jesus was loved and hated. That was his reputation. It's who he was. He was typically loved by the sinners. And he was typically hated by the religious. I wonder how offended we would be if Jesus walked into this place today. And he preached a message. I wonder what he would share. And I wonder how we would handle it. I wonder how offended we might get to what he actually has to say. Right? Study his life. What about the rhythms of his life? Work and rest. Work and rest. How he flowed in and out of those things, those categories. 
his responses, his passions, his questions. So often when people asked him a question, he responded with a question, not a defense. That we're so, we so quickly move to defending ourselves and our stances. Jesus just kindly asked a question back. His movements, how he came and went from town to town. He had more people to heal. There was lines and he just said, okay, we're leaving now. And they moved on. Why? How did he do that? His movements, his emotions from sad to joy, where he wept because he lost his friend. And yet his first miracle was turning water into wine at a pure celebration of marriage. His joy, his decisions, how he made decisions, when he made them, and how he went about it. How he spoke, his stories, how he taught in parables, and how he would, most of his teaching times were probably five minutes or less, and he left. And we try to up here, right, do a 35, 40 minute message. Like Jesus, learning from Jesus studying who he was, not just what he commanded us to do, will transform us. How he sat at the lowest seat of the table, how he served. He had a gentle and lowly heart. And to truly learn from that, Jesus operated totally different than we do. And a way to usher in or cultivate shalom is to study him. It will transform you. It will change you. So be intrigued by Jesus. Don't just go, I know him, I got it. I've heard all the stories. No, unpack who he was. The spiritual discipline of learning from Jesus is actually very essential to shalom in your life. So learn from him. All right, a second spiritual discipline is the spiritual discipline of the pause. Psalms 23, um, one through three says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Um, the pause now, Dallas Willard unpacked this in a beautiful way. Uh, you know, there's something called busy and there's something called hurried, okay? And he, he put a dichotomy between these two, busy and hurry. And the busyness of life and what we experience is all external. We have tons of things that we have to get done. I get it. We have to pay the bills. We have to, you know, run kids. We have to, have to, have to. These things we have to do. And there's busyness to it. But what Dallard, Dallas Willard what really wanted to get at here was the internal life of hurriedness. Busyness, external, hurried being internal. And uh, what Jesus wants to get at, remember, is the internal life. See, COVID brought a pause to our external busyness. It kind of slowed everything down for us. We're not running as much as we used to. We did, you know, all the things that we typically would do kind of got put on hold, especially early on in the COVID battle. And the busyness subsided. 
But that doesn't mean the hurriedness, the internal wheel, the internal hurriedness might have never slowed down. And that's what Jesus wants to get at, right? There's all kinds of different ways to do this. For some of us, we need to start with a simple 10 seconds where we take a deep breath and we slow everything down internally. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? The wheel that's spinning internally. I got XX, all these things to do and it's just rolling in us and we get geared up to the point where even when we have nothing to do, we're still pacing the floor. We feel like something's gotta be going. Something's gotta be, right? It's slowing all of that down. 10 seconds, take a deep breath, slow it down. Maybe it's five minutes. You can take a deep breath, slow all that internal down and bring Jesus into the middle of that. Maybe it's when you walk to the mail. This is very practical. Maybe it's when you walk to go get the mail. You just take that time Take some deep breaths. You're not running from one thing to the next. Take, slow it down, Jesus. I invite you into this. And as Psalms talks about when you're walking, lying down, um, maybe it's in families, um, just taking some time to slow it down. The point is to stop and invite God into this space. To be able to invite him into the internal world. A lot of us just drive and we don't want to stop because we don't want to deal with that. But stopping and inviting Jesus into those things and into the internal world is a huge piece to cultivating shalom and bringing healing and freedom and joy. Maybe it's the ride home from work. You just set that aside to slow everything down. It is so critical for your soul. That's why David said, he makes you lie down in green pastures. That's why David also said, be still and know that I am God. You have to stop. Not the busyness. It's the internal that has to come to a stop. And so it's essential so the spiritual discipline of the pause, very, very practical. Um, start with 10 seconds. Start with a walk to the, get the mail. Start with a let the dogs out. And instead of doing something while you let the dogs out, you stop. All right, Jesus, I need you to come in. All right, very, very practical. The spiritual discipline of the pause. Um, the third one is the spiritual discipline of defiant joy. And this is probably the hardest. Um, you know, as we look at 2020, um, joy was really, really difficult. It was a battle to fight for it. It was a battle to find it. It was a battle to see it. It was even a battle to want to go after it. Um, joy was really, really difficult uh, in, in our world in 2020. Um, but how do we cultivate shalom in 2021 with joy? It's a defiant joy. It's when we look at the news, we look at the world, we look at our community and we say, no, I'm going to have joy anyway. I am in, in light of it all, I am going to pursue joy. Um, you know, um, Christmas was an incredible, just is always an incredible time. But 
one of the things that's really interesting is my wife and I were talking about this. It's like 30 seconds on Christmas Eve when everything's wrapped up, everything's done, and you're heading to bed. There's like this 30 second, depending on how fast you fall asleep, but there's this like 30 second blip of I'm a kid again and the desire and the expectation and the joy and the anticipation of Christmas morning is there. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like Christmas Eve, it's like this very, very short little, ah, that's kingdom joy. That's kingdom joy. And then the next morning happens and life goes on, right? But it's that, that short little that we just grab for and we want more of that we get on Christmas Eve. Philippians 4, 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say it, rejoice. This verse just feels so unkind in an unkind world. Right? Oh my goodness. Like last year, how many of us tried so hard to do this? And it was such a battle. This is a category that I, you know, uh, you know, for me even personally, I'm not even close to claiming victory on, to finding joy in these things. Here's what we do know. We know that Jesus came to bring it though. We know that Jesus came to bring joy, to restore it, and it is possible. We know, it's a, and in the future, it's a guarantee. It is our hope. It is our hope. It's possible. Isaiah 61, what we read last um, week, as, as we looked at the shalom being restored, and joy is part of that. Um, the second and third verse says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Isaiah 35, and, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Oh my goodness, how many sighs did we give in 2020? We know the hope in the future of joy being fully and completely and wholly restored. It's going to happen. And more and more of that Christmas Eve experience, that 30-second blimp, is available to us even now. Here's a couple things I've learned. Um, and again, by no means have I come close to doing well, um, personally. But some things I've learned along the way in this struggle in 2020 um, for joy to implement. And the, the first one I'll share is to choose joy. This is as hard as it gets. But it's to get up in the morning, no matter what is going on, and to choose joy. To just say no, defiantly no. I choose joy in the face of whatever is going on. It is a determination. It is a declaration 
over your day and every day that I'm going to choose joy. It's when the bad news comes. I am going to choose joy. It's, it's, um, it's making and claiming a declaration over what is being, what the news that we've received. Another, another um, practice would be to stay focused on what you do have and not what you do not have. To remember all that God's given us. We're the richest people. To remember what he has given you. It's very easy for us to really focus on and look at what we do not have. And what we wish would have been different. And what we wish would have, could have, might have. But to look at what we have. And remember what God has given us. And the blessings that he has given us. And his faithfulness in it all. And to stay focused on that versus what we don't have. Another practice would be this uh, that, that I've kind of wrestled with and learned over um, 2020 is learning to ask the right questions. Uh, there are questions when, when news and things take place in our life. There's questions that we can ask that actually lean and, and push us towards discontentment and sadness and frustration. And there's questions that will push us more towards joy. Um, I find most always the why question isn't a healthy question for our hearts. Um, because many, 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 many questions will never, dis will never find the answer for that why. Questions like, why did this happen? Why did it have to go this way? Why is there so much hate in the world. Why, why, why? It, it doesn't do our heart any good. Questions we need to, and, or questions we need to ask is, is questions like this. Jesus, okay, wh what are you doing here? What are you doing in the election? What are you doing? Jesus, what should my response be to this? Uh, Jesus, what are you doing in me right now? Those types of questions will push us back into the center of Christ. And it will bring us into a level of joy. So asking the right questions, I think, is, is, is helpful in discovering and fighting for joy. Um, and here, here's another practice. And it's, it's I, I call it this, arranging and looking for moments of joy. Arranging and looking for moments of joy. Um, Christmas Eve, I, I, I'm, it was amazing. Christmas Eve, we were here, we did the services. And then I got in my car and I was heading home on Christmas Eve. And now, probably not everybody loves snow. Um, I like snow. I love snow. And um, we had a white Christmas, right, for the first time in a long time. But if you were here at the, the late service, the 6 o'clock, the last service, and you went home, it was snowing and going downtown with the Christmas lights it was absolutely beautiful. That was a moment that God gave us to have joy. To look at the beauty. And coming out of 2020, it was, it, was, it was a gift from God. It was a joy bomb. We call things like that joy bombs in our house. It was a joy bomb. God just dropped it 
on our laps for Christmas Eve. Looking and arranging for moments of joy. Um, we, my family and I, we, we have done this actually a lot. Um, we see a sunset and we call it sunset chasing. We get, we're driving someplace and the sunset is setting and we go, all right, let's go. And we just start taking roads to try to catch up to the sunset and just watch it. There are moments of joy that we're looking for to, to combat the world that we live in. Um, stargazing. Now, that's really tough in Ohio um, because it's cloudy land. Um, but when it opens up to see the heavens, to notice the blooming flower, it's just the color and the vibrance. It's looking for and arranging for moments of joy is so critical. Um, beauty, music, music is so beautiful. My wife and I, uh, every Christmas for probably, I don't know, four or five years now, have gone to the Cleveland Orchestra to listen to their Christmas concert. It's absolutely beautiful. Unfortunately, we couldn't go this year. But it's arranging for those moments of beauty and joy that can just feed us. Um, being playful. Uh, my kids absolutely love this, but it's dance party time on the way to school, right? Turn on the music. I'm joking, they really don't like it at all when we're having a dance party as we go into the school. It's actually quite embarrassing and that's why we love it. But it's, it's, it's dance party, right? Joy, arrange for, make up for, just press into, look for those moments of joy that we can have. Maybe it's hobbies that we can go after that just, okay, brings joy to our hearts. How do we move into 2021? Some spiritual disciplines. Learn from me, Jesus said. Be intrigued by who Jesus is. The spiritual discipline of the pause, the internal life. Pause, slow it down. And the spiritual discipline of defiant joy. You know, um, Matthew 13. Matthew 13 says this, uh, the kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. How do we move into 2021? Church, you have a treasure. Many of you have found the treasure because you have received Jesus now, if you're here and you haven't received Jesus, or maybe you're watching online and you go, I'm just checking this thing out. I don't understand this Jesus thing. Jesus is a treasure, an absolute treasure that is so valuable, more valuable than anything you could ever own or experience. His gift of salvation, his gift of shalom, to move us and, and, and shape us and, and work on our inner life to wholeness and completeness. His forgiveness of sins. It is the greatest treasure. And that's what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like the greatest treasure you could ever find. So great 
that in joy you go and sell everything you have so you can buy the field that this treasure is in. Friends, if you know Christ, and many of you do in this room and watching online, if you know Christ, you have the greatest treasure you could ever have. That's how you go into 2021. Knowing and understanding this treasure is is incredible. It has adoption. You are now sons and daughters of God. This treasure, love. It is full of love for you, acceptance for you, affection over you, affirmation in your life. This treasure fills the deepest core longings of the human being. It offers shalom. It offers shalom. And you, if you're in Christ, you have this treasure. And see, our response to that, as this man, what it should be, as this man that Jesus explains, says, enjoy he goes. Just because of the treasure and the ability to have the treasure and all that God has given us, He goes in joy. He doesn't think about it. It's not complicated. It's not, let's overthink this. No, it is an automatic response because the treasure is so great. He just goes in joy and sells everything that he has. We have the same treasure Jesus is talking about. If you're in Christ, you have the exact same treasure We should shout for joy over this treasure. We sit all calmly and quiet because we're in church. But this is the place we should should holler and shout more than any other place. Many of us shouted last Friday night really loud as Fields throws two 60-yard touchdown passes. We were pretty excited. How many of you shouted at the TV? All right, there we go, right? Incredible, incredible game. We do, we get excited. Now, guys, we have the best treasure ever. And we sit all calm and quiet, spiritually. We are the body of Christ, and joy is supposed to just come out of us. Just come out of us. So, go in joy that you have the greatest treasure. Study that treasure. Know that treasure. Stop long enough to see the treasure and hear the treasure and be with the treasure. And then skip, jump, laugh, play, joy, joyful. Enjoy the treasure because it is the greatest ever. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. And we pray shalom over 2021. Give us a deep um, desire and be in, just be intrigued about your life, Jesus, that we would be able to be transformed 
because of who you were and how you lived. Father, give us space to just calm down. Holy Spirit, bring those moments into our life, even today, to slow the internal down. To pause and enjoy you. And then, Father, I pray that there would be joy just plastered over 2021 from our hearts. Because we have the greatest treasure that we could ever have. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.